Welcome to Travel Worth Living, a travel podcast helping to share adventure stories from around the world. My name is Seth, and I'll be your host today as we get to talk to one of my great friends from Isafjörr. Her name is Ellen Inga Lærostotter, and she worked as a nurse at the same hospital where my wife and I worked while we were up in the West Fjords. Growing up on a farm in one of the more rural areas of Iceland, she definitely has a unique perspective on a lot of culture here in Iceland. And I just absolutely loved our conversation. She has so much to talk about, and I'm sure you're going to learn more about Iceland than you probably ever knew before in this episode. We also talk about her travels to Norway and how she created a bucket list so that she would not miss any of the beautiful scenery in the West Fjords. Before we go to our conversation, though, I have a super quick travel trivia. Did you know that with the isolation that comes from living on an island, the Icelandic sheep is one of the purest breeds of sheep in the world? It's not only one of the purest breeds, it's also quite a large breed. There are about 800,000 sheep in Iceland, and only about 375,000 Icelanders. So of course this means that there are way more than two sheep per human on our small island. Now, if you think that's incredible, just wait until you learn more about the Icelandic sheep in this episode. Okay, that was very dramatic, but I am excited to share my conversation with Aileen. So, without further ado, here is Aileen. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Seth. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you about all things nursing and Iceland and farming and West Fjords, all sorts of cool topics. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm hoping I can answer you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and start by, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell me where you're from and just a little bit about you so we can uh, know who we're talking to today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, my name is Elin Inka and uh, I'm from Iceland, from the west of Iceland, not the West Fjords, but the west part. It's called Snæfellsnes. I was brought up on a farm uh, near to Stikkisholmer, it's called, where we mostly have sheep, but also horses. Um, but I've lived like in Reykjavik since I was 15 to go to school and lived abroad too. But currently I'm working as a nurse in uh, the Westfjord. Yeah. Yeah. And what might most people know about Stikkisholmer? Uh, I think it's probably the islands, and it's a tourist place. <laughs> That's probably what people know about Stikkisholmer. There's yeah. a lot of there. They mm-hmm. they shot. I remember when we were there. Um, we visited the yeah. famous site, and you haven't <laughs> watched the movie, have you? No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, the famous site where they shot the helicopter scene with the drug pilot. Um, in Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Um, so yeah, that was that was one of the locations where they shot that. But it's such yeah. a beautiful a beautiful town. And I mean, growing up there, what was it like growing up there uh, and then moving to the city? Like, what are what are some things looking back you love about growing up in such a remote area? Um, yeah, I always say that knowing the farm part of me is really important because it's one of the uh, things that like marked me the most and. Yeah, just had such a big effect on everything that I stand for in a way. But I also think because we live pretty near to a small town, 
So I also had like the privilege of being in a town and being near to a big family. So it wasn't like we were totally away from everything, like a little bit bigger than just the farm. <laughs> so I was really lucky to um, experience both in a way. But I think just the the farm part is just like one of the biggest things about me. <laughs> so yeah, and you grew up on a sheep farm, right? Yeah. And how many how many sheep does uh, did your farm have? Um, so we only had like two hundred and fifty to three hundred when we had the most. My parents always have uh, worked one hundred percent out of the farm too, so it was a lot of work. And then we've had a few horses and always had like one dog. So it's not a big farm, but but still a lot of work though. So yeah, and <laughs> with horse, I mean, hor wow, not horses, sheep. Uh, with sheep, it's a pretty big industry here in Iceland. Um, yeah, and it's kind of part of the culture as well. And yeah. I know I've learned a lot of cool stuff about it, but uh, tell me a little bit about. Um, kind of the evolution of sheep farming throughout the year. So starting with uh, lambing season and then kind of going throughout. So what what exactly happens during lambing season uh, with all the sheep farmers? Yeah, so the lambing season is like April or May, it, depending on just um, the farmer decides when he wants to have it. But at my farm, it's always in May. Uh, and it's like a period of three to four weeks maybe where you have the lambing season and depending on where you are in Iceland you have them at home in the beginning but then they also always go to the mountains after that so they go to the or the highlands or wherever they can be outside of the farm because we need to be able to get the grass and they're not able to eat it while it's growing so it goes to the mountains so most of the sheep are outside um, a big part of the year because they are in the mountains. So um, we put them in the mountains in June. But like where my mother was brought up in the north side of Iceland, she's always also from a farm. That is like more in July. So it's a month later. So you see the difference there. And is it then because the, it's colder or is it just um, preference? Yeah. yeah, it's colder. And also like uh, more sheep on a smaller area in a way so um, the grass needs to get bigger before they are able to put them in the mountains gotcha <laughs> yeah yeah and that's kind of a signature thing when tourists drive around iceland is seeing sheep everywhere <laughs> yeah it's everywhere i know on the roads and like yeah they are not always going to go away if you want them to go away <laughs> no and sometimes they'll cross right before you come up on them so it can be a little little sketchy <laughs> yeah my, mo my mom was here uh, in the west first this weekend and she was really uh yeah the sheep here are very not stressed they just lie on the road until you come to them <laughs> so she she was a little bit afraid after driving to here so <laughs> mm -hmm. that's hilarious yeah so then they pretty much forage uh for themselves out in the highlands all summer they do but then we go and collect them in september um, and that's like a very cultural thing or gathering to do. So if you you have been into such a, mm -hmm. it's called smölun or gönkur. I'm not sure about the English word for it, but it's like just gathering the sheep from the mountains. And it can take from one day 
to like a week uh, in some parts of Iceland where it's like you go with horses and you are up in the mountains for days and days collecting the sheep. But at my my home ta- or my home it's uh, one to two days to get them. And uh, it's it's always so much fun. Uh, depending on weather a little bit how much fun but um yeah and uh, the family comes together and it's uh yeah it's a pretty big event of the year to gather the sheep yeah and then once they bring it down they put them all into the pen called the retter and yeah. that's that's kind of where the whole yeah you said the family came together but the whole community comes together as well yeah. mm-hmm. um which is really cool. See, and and how how do they separate? Because they put them all in the pen, and how do they separate them? Yeah, so we have like a big. What, what's it called? Like in the middle, it's a called. It's like a ring or a box. Yeah, just box. like an arena kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a big middle box, and then you have small boxes around it, and every farmer has his own little box. But you go into the middle and you collect your sheep depending on how you'll see it on the ears. So the ears have been cut in a specific way and all the ears have like, uh, the farmer has his cut in a way. Can you call it cut or a mark? What do you call it? I think it is just, yeah, cut in the ear. Yeah. And that happens, when does that happen? That is done in the May. That is done like in the lambing season. So the lambs go to the mountains and are, are cut before they go there. But um, yeah, it's really good to be able to see, so you don't need to check every single sheep to um, like read the tag on the ear because they also have like tags. But yeah, it's really good to be able to sort them more with the eyes and not have to check on every single one. And then you just try to <laughs> somehow bring them from the big box into the little box. And I had yeah. my own adventure with that. Uh, the... <laughs> video of it so i know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah the sheep was a little stronger than i expected <clears throat> they are it's actually, it's actually quite impressive how much power they have in those little legs but <laughs> they do <laughs> yeah so then yeah that's that's such a cultural icelandic event and then yeah. after that uh what happens to the sheep um yeah so what we do we bring them home so we go with um we take the the whole group and go with horses and walk them home. So it's like it's it's also very fun and the family does that together and um, brothers and sisters of my father especially and mother come and help us. So it's uh, it's like it's so much fun and it's like a feast on Saturday evening and Sunday evening and everyone getting together. So it's like a family thing, but also like you said, the community. Because like where I'm from, there there are so small farms. So we also always say that there are more people in the Rjetter than sheep. And it's so funny to see because it, it is like one people per sheep. <laughs> but like when I go but when I go to the Rjetter at my like where my mother was brought up, then we have much more sheep. It's a lot more work. That's like three days of work to do. So it's really different wow. in every area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotcha. but after that they uh, they stay on our farm for it's depending on where they're when they're going to slaughter the lambs but it's uh, often three weeks something like that that they just stay at home and then they go to the 
slaughter it's slaughterhouse you call it or yeah it's a... that's the sad part of the the evolution I, for them <laughs> i know it really is it's not my favorite thing but there are some sheep that do get shorn short sheer sheared i swear yes. i'm struggling with english <laughs> on this podcast too um and and then they use that for the lapa pasa um yep. for the sweaters so what what kind of makes that so unique why are those so popular the icelandic wool it's different wool from like the merino wool or other kinds it it's more itchy i know that <laughs> yep you have to get used to it <laughs> yeah but it's it's warmer um i'm not sure how to say it in english but it has like two tiny types of fibers in it which oh, okay. are not like common in other sheeps so it um it holds more warmth in a way right because they have like the shorter insulative um hair and then the longer uh yeah. also insulative hair, hair. <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly i'm not sure of the english words here but yeah that's kind of uh, in theory what it is about so it's uh it's really warm to have and of course it's a tradition in iceland to have those sweaters though it's not like maybe that the sweaters are not that old in a way the knitting in iceland but uh before it were more mostly used for like clothes not knitting them like more uh weaving you call it weaving mm, or, mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. But the Icelandic Lopa Pesa is, of course, very famous, at least for tourists. And, of course, every Icelander has one, I think. <laughs> so. Yep. So growing up on a farm... Oh, something else. You're the first uh, Icelandic person I've had on the show. So forgive me, but I'm going to, like, pick your brain on a bunch of different topics. <laughs> um, just tell me a little... Because I remember your, your story about the rock um, that you wouldn't let your your father move or they were gonna <laughs> break it or something for the driveway tell me a little bit about the icelandic culture in regards to uh elves and um yeah elves and dwarfs okay so in iceland we have like two types of i'm not sure how you say if it's elves but we have alvar and that sounds a lot like elves so that's like the tradi uh yeah the translation but then we also have hildefolk and hildefolk are also like Elves, but it's like it's if we translate it, it's like the hidden people, I would say. Um, yeah, but we have many stories of those peoples and um, or peoples, I say people, <laughs> elves <laughs> or creatures or whatever they are. But um, and they have a lot of respect in Iceland. Uh, so like on my farm, we have uh, two fields that are never ever. We never ever cut the grass there because there are elves that are supposed to live there, uh, and you do not like mess with their homes. They are they have to be able to live there. Um, and uh, when I was little, there was one rock on the road that my my dad wanted to put a flag. You know, a flag. What's it called? Flag stang? No. A flagpole or a flag staff. Yeah. 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 He thought it was such a pretty rock and it would be so beautiful, like under the flag pool. So. But I was so determined that there were elves that lived there when I was a kid. So my dad, of course, obeyed what I said. And the flag was never put there. Not sure if I saw the elves. It was just like, you're so used to respect elves. So you do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that... 
I would say that I believe in elves, but I respect the stories and I respect, yeah, their existence in a way. (laughs) And then you also have the trolls. Yeah, you have a lot of trolls also. (laughs) But those aren't as nice. (laughs) No, they are not as nice. I think the trolls are a little bit harder because the trolls can be like big mountains, they can be rocks, they can be anything you see um, in nature. So, yeah, I yeah. was going to ask about that because I, I've kind of been a little bit confused because there's little rocks that could be trolls, but then we have the troll seat, which is across from Isafir, that, and it's huge. I mean, it's part of the mountain. So I was like, how... I, I know. <laughs> so we have like this in... Um... Um, in Snifersness, we have like the story of this uh, troll woman that walked over the mountains, and three of the mountains, like one is the horse. It's a it's a mountain that is like her horse. So it's it's a little bit hard to say what is a troll and what isn't. But what they all have in common is that they, um, if they see the sun, they get they turn into stone. So that is what you see that is left of them. But like. The trolls in Iceland must be very big because, you know, the story about the trolls that were going to cut or shovel the land uh, between the Westfords and Iceland because they wanted the Westfords to become an island so that there were trolls that tried to shovel it. And that are the ice islands in the Breidafjord. You've heard of that one? Hmm. You know what that no, one? No, actually, I had it. Okay, so you hear that that must be pretty, pretty, pretty big creatures that can like shovel the land from, yeah, Budartalr and there to make a whole new island. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I hadn't heard that story. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, but I think it's the darkness. I think it's the darkness because now living in Iceland, we have electricity everywhere and we have light everywhere. We have, we have light if we want it. But before you had, like in the wintertime, you had endless darkness. And it's so easy walking between. It's just like when I was little and I was walking because we didn't have that much light between the sheep house and my house. Mm-hmm. You could imagine so many things just between those two places. And it's so easy to like hear something or see something <laughs> and you just uh, immediately imagine something. And especially like before when you had so many stories about creatures and trolls and elves and bad things. So I think it's the darkness that inspired it. That makes so much sense, actually, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then you left the farm and you went to Reykjavik to, um, well, you did some school there, but then you became a nurse uh, while yeah. you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, what inspired you to go into nursing? <laughs> Um, so I think what mostly inspired me to become a nurse is the fact that my dream is to become a midwife. And in Iceland, you have to be a nurse before you become a midwife. Um, so I went into nursing kind of not knowing what I was getting into, to be, (laughs) to be honest. Don't we all? (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. You never know what you're getting yourself into when you learn nursing. But um, yeah, so I finished uh, nursing one year ago. Um, and yeah, I I really love being a nurse. And I'm going to like, when I become a midwife, I'm always going to say, I'm also a nurse. So I'm a nurse and a midwife. 
because I'm so proud of it though. So, so. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And was it after you became a nurse, you went to Norway to work for a little bit? No, I went uh, while I was uh, okay. studying nursing. First, I went before um, I was there the year before I went into nursing school. And then I went uh, and worked there one summer again after the first year, I think it was. Got mm-hmm. you. As as like a shukulele or? Yeah, more like okay. a shukulele. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. a nursing assistant type yeah. person. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was it like? How much have you traveled outside of Iceland? Um, mostly. No, not mostly. Only in Europe. Yeah. yeah. Only in Europe. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've been to Greenland and the Faroe Islands. Uh, that's like the closest to Iceland. And then I've been to like the Nordic countries, uh, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, of course. And then just like... Uh, yeah, the Brit- Britain, Scotland, and Germany, I think. That's all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I, def- mm-hmm. I definitely want to visit the Celtic Isles. That's definitely on my bucket yeah. list. But yeah. um, what was it like working in Norway uh, compared to Iceland? How different was it? Um, so for me, like um, being a nurse now, it's hard to say what the difference is because I was so short in my studies to really know um, or see how it is different. But uh, I had friends there that become became nurse and I see that uh, the studies are not the same. So it's three years there, but it's four years here. So it's different. And, um, but they also have like this three, three um, shifts in the schedule. So it's not like 12 hour shifts, it's eight hour shifts or shorter. So it's, it's pretty similar to in Iceland in gotcha. a way. And what about the what about living in the country? I know Norway, mm-hmm. they have the reputation that they're super rich. Um, but <laughs> what yeah, what what were some of the cultural differences that you noticed besides for the language? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's uh, really hard to ask an Icelandic person this question because I um Icelandic people are from Norway. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I like loved about being in Norway. I could just feel how similar we were in a way, <laughs> also. Um, so I think it's hard for it's a tricky question for me to answer because I I just felt at home when I was with the people there. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome. Well, I've yeah. I've not been there, so that's a great answer as well. <laughs> They're very <Yeah>. similar. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then then you went up to the West Fjords and started working as a nurse in East Fjord, which is yeah. where we work together and met each other. Um, <laughs> what are some of the unique challenges of working in the West Fjords? Well, first of all, I know we've talked a little bit about I've talked a little bit about it with other people on the podcast, but go ahead and explain where the West Fjords are and especially East Fjord and why it's so remote from Reykjavik. <laughs> Yeah, and Akita, so, like the only points of civilization yeah. in Iceland. <laughs> yeah, according to you. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vestfjords. Mm, the isolation comes, of course, from the the roads not being good, and the fact that the air 
airport is not really well situated, I would say at least. <laughs> I think most people would say <laughs> I'm not the only one there. It so has a reputation, yeah. Uh, Which I'm going yeah. to fly into it someday. I'm going to do oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, um, yeah, I think it's remote because of that, mostly. But um, it's hard to get here, especially in the winter time. But I think <laughs> my winter here and yours as well was like the worst in 20 years or something. So I think it's pretty hard for us to say something about it. Um, but, um, yeah, but it's the mountains, it's the roads, it's the fact that it's, there's a lot of like, when you're driving, you often do not have um, cell phone reception even. So it's it's really remote in that that way. But there are a lot of people that live and work here though. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a civilization. It, it definitely is. Um, <laughs> Weather-wise, how is it different from like Sticky Somer and Reykjavik? Oh my, oof. so what I love in Norway, just to say that out loud, is that it snows a lot and there's a lot of snow, but it is snow. And that is what happened here too. It is snow. It's not like the in-between snow, rain, something as in Sticky Somer and in Reykjavik. You know, it can never just be snow or not snow. It's always in-between and that's what... Oh, it gets so frustrating, especially in Reykjavik. Uh, but what I love about the weather here in Isafjörður is um, how still the wind is. Because I was brought up in Sticky Solomir and you always have wind there. So it's really good to be here and have no wind, really often at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really nice because it's in the valley between the two mountains. Yeah. So you have to have a direct, I guess, what is it, north-south wind? I don't even know the directions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Something like that. Yeah, blowing mm -hmm. through. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it definitely creates a, a little bit of challenges, especially when you're working healthcare. Um, because yeah. what, like, if you have a critical patient, what is your only option? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure all the time. Because we have had problems with the helicopter landing set, and you know that. <laughs> so sometimes the airplane can. So we have like uh, what we have is that we can take care of them so far. It's we can't do everything, but we can do a lot with the people here and the the things that are here. But uh, the airplane comes. What do you call it in English? Like the the air ambulance. Yeah. Yeah, air ambulance. Yeah. But then we also have helicopter that can come. And of course, we have a sh we can send for the ship too, but <laughs> that has not been done when I'm here at least. Um, yeah, but I've had the problem of the helicopter not being able to land, and that was a really scary situation. But it ended well though. So um, yeah, we are pretty isolated if the weather is not good. Mm -hmm. We really are. Yeah, and the airplane, they they. <laughs> almost always can't make it no that's not uh -huh. true but it's <laughs> a little bit true though <laughs> it's really true like the helicopter can come in all sorts of weather but the airplane is like oh i saw a flake of snow or oh they're like the dandelions are blowing in the wind i cannot come <laughs> <laughs> that's so true <laughs> uh, yeah no it makes for some fun times and i mean 
kind of going off from travel a little bit uh, as a nurse, like I really enjoy working in places like that because you do like if you have a critical patient you have to stabilize them and care for them you know yeah they might need a life-saving surgery that you're not able to perform in that hospital but you got to yep. do the best you can until transport arrives so yeah and i also just think like working here we don't have like the biggest of population we are not that many here so of course the hospital is the size of how many people are around it or can come to it so uh, like you know and I know that we are often the only nurse on call like or not on call like in the house in the we hospital. have more yeah but it's like you learn a lot from that you come so independent and you learn so much from being so often alone because like when I worked at the Landspital in Reykjavik you all, always had like five other nurses that were so much more experienced than you not that I'm saying that I'm not experienced after this but and I all always have someone on call that I can call or ask to come but you really learn a lot from being so much alone especially because both me and you were often on evening shifts or the night shifts not the morning shifts where you have more nurses so yeah <laughs> you learn yeah you learn decision making skills and just being confident yeah. in, in your decision yeah and knowing when to ask for the help that's like yeah that's factor that you need to like um learn and like develop in a way when do you need the help and when can you do it yourself and when do you need to ask questions and what not so yeah 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 exactly i i think it's so so beneficial um so if anybody's listening and wants to become a nurse and go to a country <laughs> hospital highly recommend it <laughs> we do both i recommend it a lot too yeah, so do you have any stories that you can or want to share from your nursing experience there? Did you have any experience that kind of sticks out that you'd be able to share? I think it's just like when I, I had just started and I came in and they <laughs> told me that they had an ICU patient in and I was like, this is my first shift alone and you're leaving me with an ICU patient when does this happen because i had just come from Reykjavik and then you just call one number and the icu comes and gets it <laughs> this patient so this was like a major like uh whoa what am i getting into here but at the same time um we had so good co-workers there i just love them to pieces i love them so much they are so good and they help you out and I was not left alone with this ICU patient, so of course I was not. Um, but um, it's just like I was so afraid when I came in, but of course it ended well. But um, I just, the coworkers are the best there. That's what I like the most. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Man, you're making me want to go back. I miss everyone <laughs> so much. <laughs> so <laughs> when, you, when you moved up there, um, you had... Agnes was actually telling me about this. I, I don't think I'd heard about it, but you had like a little travel bucket list. Um, yeah. and, you, and you used like the little note cards and stuff. Tell me a little bit about your system because you did not want to miss anything from the West Fjords. <laughs> no, I did not. You should see my map how it is. Like now it's like axes all over the place where I've been. <laughs> yeah, so when I came here, it was like, I always said that the reason why I wanted to come here was, of course, I wanted to go to the countryside again. That's what, like, that's such a big part of me. I just, I just needed it after several years in Reykjavik to come back to the countryside. 
And the mountains, like the mountains have always been like one of my biggest hobbies. So I was going to see a lot of mountains here in the Westerns. So I made, um, I just went to the map and just looked at the map and I picked out not mountains that I knew. I picked up mountains that like had beautiful names. <laughs> I, uh, I especially love lighthouses. So I wanted to go and see all the lighthouses <laughs> so that I could get to. And I went to the library and the library in the Isifid is such a beautiful house. It's so much fun to go there and just look into the books and there are a lot of like hiking books and just books about the area that you can like read about. So I've picked up routes there. So it's like day trips to longer trips. And I I wrote all of them on post-it notes and put it on the mirror in my bathroom. <laughs> and at first there were much more on the left side, but now it's uh, mostly on the right side, all of the post-it notes. So I've been able to check uh, most of them out. Yeah, so as you do it, you take it from the left yeah. side and put it on the right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I love that because it gives you such a visual way to experience where you're yeah. going. Yeah. And it's just, I've seen so much and I've, I love the Westerns. It's like, oof. Um, and it's just, um, it gives exactly like a way to navigate what you want to do. To see it like there but my problem is that as i get to know more people here uh, they invite me to places or like tell me about new places so i have a new list but i've not put that on the mirror because i don't have room for all the post-it notes that i want to do so i have a new list that i'm going to complete in the years to come <laughs> but yeah <laughs> nice it'll be more like an electronic list you have it on your phone and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> check it off <laughs> yeah that's great. Um, I feel like we would be remiss if we did not talk about the Icelandic language just a little bit. With you learning English, what are some of the most striking similarities or striking differences between the two languages? Yeah, so the differences, of course, are that in English the words don't change. You understand what I mean there? It's the fact that uh, we have so much so many forms of every word or not many it's only four but but still, <laughs> still four too many no <laughs> so like for I instance Isafjörður. like tell me the different um forms of the town where you live and mm -hmm. how you'd use each form um here is Isafjörður. Uh if i talk about it it's more like Isafjörð. so it's Isafjörður, and then we have Isafjörð. And then if you're coming from, then you say Isafirde, but if you're going to it, so Isafjardar. So you have Isafjardar, Isafjard, Isafirde, Isafjardar. So you have so many different, <laughs> this is like hard for me to even think about in English right now. But it comes so naturally when you're speaking it, but, but when you're trying to like um, explain it, it's... It's a in a different language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because for you yeah. guys, it just sounds right. For me, yeah. I'm like, I have no idea. I just say Isafjörður all the time. Yeah. But it's like I and me. You like in, in English, yeah. you have I and me. It's the same, but you have it like for every words. And you have four forms, not like only two, like with I and me. 
You understand what I mean there? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. Um, like in, in English, using the pronouns I or me, it depends <laughs> on how you say the sentence. Like, I am here, but you are here with me. And it's, a, it's meaning the exact same thing. Yeah, and it comes naturally. And in that way, it comes naturally for Icelandic people because you're brought up with hearing it all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so even even your name has different forms, correct? Yeah, it does. But like my name, it doesn't really have that many forms. It's only uh, two. Yeah, it's only two. It's my name. So it's uh, depending on the words, how how it changes and how often it changes in a way. Got you. And for those who want to hear some Icelandic, can you just introduce yourself and tell me what you do and where you're from in Icelandic? Ég heiti Elin Inga og ég er frá Ögri sem er við Styrkisholm og ég er hjúgrunafræðingur. That is beautiful. I think my favorite part is I understand that. Like that just makes me so happy. Good it's, to hear that. Yeah, it's so hard, but it's coming slowly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up with the rapid fire facts section. Oh my, oh my, okay. <laughs> Do you prefer group or solo travel? Group. This Do is smart though. <laughs> Do you prefer Nikon, Canon, or Sony for cameras? Uh, Canon. Do you prefer the aisle seat or the window seat? The window seat. <laughs> Absolutely, that's awesome. Do you prefer beaches or cities? Beaches. <laughs> what's What's the worst food that you've ever tried? The worst food? Yeah. Oof. Uh, have I ever tasted bad food though? No, I can't say any. I'm not that's, sure I can't. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, do you prefer a strict schedule or go with the flow? A little bit of both. I can't decide. I'm sorry. I just can't. <laughs> that, that's a great answer. Uh, what's your favorite city that you visited? Köln um, in Germany, I would say. I've not been there yet. Do you have a favorite airline? <laughs> no, I do not have a favorite airline. Sorry. Are you serious? <laughs> no, it's just the one that gets me to the place that is my favorite airline. <laughs> I love it. Well, that, that works. Do you prefer Apple or Android? Android. Mm -hmm. All right. And that sums that up. All, I, <laughs> I like to finish my podcast with asking the question, what makes travel worth living for you? Why do you think travel is important for us? Okay, so I think it comes down to a word that is in Norwegian, and I know you don't understand it, but it's utvikling. Uh, I'm not sure how to say it in Icelandic, and not sure how to say it in English, but it's like uh, to develop. I'm, I'm not sure how to say it, or like you learn so much about yourself, other places, and other people, both the people that you're tra like in the place that you're traveling to, but also like the travel partners. So it's just like you expand so much with traveling. And um, I have learned so much from traveling and living in new places. I'm not sure I would be, I'm not sure who I would be if I would not travel. So, mm hmm.
And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining in on our conversation today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this conversation with your friends. You can find me on social media at Travel Worth Living or on the web at TravelWorthLiving.com. I sincerely hope you'll join us again next week for another incredible conversation about travel. I'm Seth Sutherland, and this is Travel Worth Living.